Okay, everybody. Hello. My name is Richard. KB5JBV, and welcome to Richard's Radio Adventures. It's only been a week or two since we talked. There's been a whole lot of stuff going on. Wow. Um, let's start with the local club situation. The local club situation, we are still putting the thing together. We made a decision over the last week that upfront impersonal meetings with face to face would probably not work at this time. Uh, mostly because we were having a hard time making that come together. So we've decided to do our best to get something going on the radio where we can get everybody at least talking to each other and get things organized where the new club in Kaufman County, new organization in Kaufman County is concerned. Uh, I've sent word to the emergency manager that I would like to talk to him. If he doesn't want to talk to me, I don't have a problem with that. We can put an MCOM group together without the help of the county, without the help of the ARRL. Uh, there are other means of making that happen. And once we have it happening, uh, they're going to be coming to us asking us to join up with them. So we're not going to worry about that too much as long as our people are knowledgeable and don't have a problem with training in national traffic system, that kind of stuff. Uh, learning the nuts and bolts of emergency communication. I recently was able to exchange emails with the section emergency coordinator for North Texas. And I explained to him that in my case, I took the original AREC emergency radio emergency communication courses with AWRL, paid good money to take those, and took all three of them. So I'm like level three on that. I have been a Skywarn spotter, but I do need to go to Skywarn school. I was the EC of this county for a little while. Uh, that on top of the other qualifications, which if anybody has any questions about my qualifications, go look at the website. Uh, I invite you to, rfpodcast.info. You check them certificates out. I'm a brass pounder. I've been an OO. I've been an ORO. Official OES emergency station, official emergency station. Assistant section manager under three different section managers. All that kind of stuff. So, if they want to make it difficult, that's fine. We don't have to do that. Uh, at one time, to be a member of Aries, all you had to have was an amateur radio license. Now they want to turn Aries into races. And that's not going work. Where the league is concerned, I'm not too worried about what's going on with them right now. I'm focused on what's going on out here in the county. Uh, we are doing range tests, various uh, simplex range tests, to see who can hear who and from where. I did finally get a hold of the guy who owns the repeater that I've been complaining so much about us not being able to access. Uh, his name is Ray, K5RCP. He's a good guy. It was just very difficult to get a hold of him because the last email address I had for him was over at Yahoo uh, 10 years ago. Now, I had the same email address as I did 10 years ago, and a lot of people do. However, it's not always the case, and his email is not good at QRZ or any of these other places. So I ended up having to write him a letter. I wrote him a letter. I found a good address for him, or at least the one that was on his license, and shot that bad boy off in mail. Thanks to the help of my woman, who is chief mail clerk at uh, Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast. We got the email off, and it took probably four or five days 
But he got in touch with me via email. A new email address, surprise, surprise. However, he tells me that uh, when he took the repeater down a few months ago, you know, I said, I may have said on the podcast that uh, I have, was able to hit it, then all of a sudden I wasn't. He took it down offline a few months back because it was having some issues, and I believe he may have decided he didn't want to pay the lease on where it was located, but he took it down, took it apart, and moved it. Uh, he's currently working on getting it back up because he is enthusiastic on helping us out. And I think that's great. I just wish he had a VHF machine because, you know, statistically, more radio operators have VHF equipment than have VHF and 440 or just 440 equipment. And we want to include as many people as possible in this organization as we get started. Um, I spoke, I did have an email with one of the former club officers of the club that was out here. I was telling y'all, I can't even find anything that shows that they ever existed. And what he replied to me with was, he feels that the club is dead. The people who were running the club have pretty much all died off. Uh, there's not a whole lot of activity, and it turns out that a club further, further to the north of here in another city is now managing the repeaters that they had. Telling y'all, it's been a busy week or two. So, what we've got going is, we've got a repeater trying to come up. We found out that those aren't happening. I actually uh, I've had a project going. I'll tell y'all about that in a few minutes. But I've had a project going, and it allowed me this evening to spend about thirty minutes or so talking to the vice president of the Rockwall Amateur Radio Club. Now, the Rockwall Amateur Radio Club is about fifteen miles north of Terrell. They just so happen to be the ones managing the. Uh, machines that the TVARC used to have. One of their machines is located in Heath, Texas, which is halfway between Terrell and Rockwall, and I'm able to hear it pretty good most days. I can hear the ones over in Rockwall, eh, not too bad. But once again, we go back to the in antenna installation I had to do and uh, the goals I had for that installation. Rockwall was not a priority. However, we may see what we can do about that. So, all this stuff is coming together. The guys on the news group, and if you want to sign up for the news group, even if you're not located in the area, uh, it's called DFW Elmers. That's where we're staging right now. It's on Facebook. DFW Elmers. And we're staging there right now. When they decide what they want to do about a club name, whatever, all that stuff, then we'll start another group specifically for that. But right now, we're able to get everybody to meet up in this one spot so we can bat ideas around. So that's coming together. Uh, I have my number two, Sander Wetzel. Uh, KG4FET, who was kind of my right arm when we were doing the Aries thing out here 10 years ago. And he and I have hooked back up, and he is gung-ho. And he's got the qualifications. I, I found out on top of everything else the other day that he's uh, number two at the Texas Traffic Net, which that would take some doing to become number two at one of the uh, one of the statewide traffic nets. So I can't sing Sanders' praises enough. So that's what's going on with us putting together a club. Remember, um, y'all scroll back. You'll find one that says, make your own, uh, find an episode that says, make your own ham radio. We're doing our best to make that happen. Let's move on off of that. 
Yeah, we're alcohol fueled again. Not so much as normal, but eh. So the next thing we need to move on to is DR, D star, Pi star, whatever that Yezu protocol is called, fusion, um, and that kind of stuff. We have started a new project here at Shack because of the limited ability I have to put up antennas, put up radios, and that kind of stuff, we have decided to move into, and I know you somebody's going to write me a tacky email over this, move into having a hotspot. Now we've set up a hotspot here. Uh, right now it's set up to work on D-Star. Mostly because I only have D-Star radios here. Those were the ones I was needing to use to try and figure out how to use this thing. Because when you go out and you start looking at DMR and D-Star and Fusion and the hotspots involved that sometimes the Sometimes the information is not as clear as it should be. Because a lot of the guys in amateur radio are pretty freaking smart, they tend to forget that there are people out there that are not as technically inclined. And because of that, there are issues that come up that make it difficult for those individuals. Uh, there's currently a news group on Facebook for PyStar users. I'm sure that's not the only hotspots that are out there right now, but PyStar is the one that I'm working with. It turns out that there's a lot of questions because the information is not super clear. But let me back up. The most common hotspot out there right now, most inexpensive and common hotspot out there right now, is built around a Raspberry Pi board. Y'all remember Raspberry Pi, it came along about 10 years ago, and there weren't a whole lot of people that were figuring out a lot to do with it back then, but I understand that uh, there's quite a few applications going on nowadays for it. And one of those is for a digital hotspot for amateur radio. Meaning a little tiny mini repeater that you can program up to get into the digital systems like D-Star, DMR, Fusion, P25, that kind of stuff. And all it takes is a little bit of know-how to get the thing happening. So we get this thing set up, get it set up the way we want to. We're trying to work with it. I've got three D-Star radios. Yeah, I got hosed in the D-Star rush. I will be selling some of those off to try and finance other equipment. So I have these D-Star radios. I got the hotspot set up. It's currently running on piece of software called PyStar, which is designed to be as minimal as possible. I'm sure it's Linux-based. And for you amateur radio operators that don't use Linux out there, y'all really need to look into it. It's Linux-based, tiny bit finicky, and everything else. So let me give you an example. On the D-Star side, Working through a normal D-Star repeater, you can set your radio up where you can put it on a channel, key the radio, and link to a different distant repeater, or link to a reflector out on the internet, which is not actually a repeater, but actually somebody's computer someplace running this reflector. Now, once you link to that repeater or link to that reflector, then you're able to talk through whatever's on the other end, whether it's the reflector or the repeater. A good example is 
when I first got the equipment, I registered at the uh, N5DA uh, D-Star system over in Mesquite, Texas. Now, they got my registration into the general database, so I'm good at all the repeaters. I would, at the time, I was working on a rendering plant down in the river bottoms of Mesquite, just sitting out there at night, making sure nobody stole anything. And I could take my radio, put it on a channel that was programmed to bring up that whatever repeater I wanted to talk to or whatever reflector I wanted to talk to, key the microphone, unkey, and then move it back to the frequency I was going to talk on or the channel I was going to talk on, which was the same frequency, but it didn't have that extra information. And then I could sit there and talk to people not only in Texas, Oklahoma, but New York, California, Japan, Europe, wherever I wanted to talk, through this uh, piece of technology out on the internet. Or through another repeater. I could just as easily, from that repeater, link into one of the other repeaters in this area, which would be K5TIT or, well now it's uh, W5FC has one now, and talk through those repeaters. So if I was out to the east and could get a good signal into Mesquite, but not into Dallas, I could link into the Mesquite machine and talk to people on the Dallas machine. You know, it sounds complicated until you sit down and think about it. But the same deal works that if I want to talk to somebody in Oklahoma City, then all I have to do is link to a machine here and link it to one of the repeaters up there and be able to talk to people in Oklahoma City. Uh, tonight, I actually talked to a guy over in Rockwall, which there's no repeaters that really have a good path from where I'm at to where he is. It's a short jump, but there's no other link to that. So, this piece of technology that has come along, Pi-Star, it is a bit finicky. And in the case of D-Star, you have to be careful. There's a guy out there with W1SG something that puts out some videos. Y'all might try going and looking him up. I'll try and get a link for him on the website somewhere. And his videos are pretty good. Unfortunately, he left an important piece of information out of one that I needed. And I don't know if I'm going to write an article about that or possibly say something about it in a future podcast, but... I spent three or four days trying to get these radios to talk to the internet and was having no luck. So I had to go out on the internet, go through about 10 different websites. I finally got to reading and I saw what was going, what the problem was. And as of yesterday afternoon, I was not only able to set up these links where I can key the radio and link to the reflector, key the radio and unlink from the reflector, but I could also hear everybody. And as of tonight, uh, I don't even know what the date is, but as of tonight, I was even able to talk to somebody. It's a good little piece of net technology as long as it doesn't turn out to be a piece of crap. We're still testing it, and I'm going to write an article at some point uh, outlining what's going on here. But, you know, I haven't even gotten y'all pictures of the, of the current radio install over here. And somebody said something to me about that the other day. Uh, what they say? Send some pictures so we can see uh, your imaginative solution to your situation. 
Well, it's pretty easy. I stuck an antenna in the wind and I stuck a radio on the desk and I ran a coax over, over the door seat, a door uh, framing to get it over there and tacked it to the wall with push pins. It does look a little ghetto, but it could be worse. So that's where we are on that. And if you're interested in High Star, I believe their website, and I do all the, I do these RRAs either sitting in a chair on the back porch, standing on the back porch, walking around the parking lot. You know, that's the raw and gritty part of Richard's Radio Adventures. So I have a hard time remembering some of this stuff. But if you want to check the software out, uh, there's a website, I believe it is pistar.uk, P-I-S-T-A-R.uk, or some variant of that. It'll be close. Punch it in the search engine, it'll come up. And that'll give you the opportunity to take a look at least at what's going on with the software, the different modes it'll do, and stuff like that. Where the hardware is concerned, uh, you can either build one, or you can buy one, and they're not expensive. But either way, you're going to need a way to plug it in. If you have an Android phone, you already have a cable for that. Uh, you need a way to look at it, computer or laptop or something. And then once you've got that all squared away, you'll be able to set it up and head down the road. Doesn't matter if you're D-Star, DMR, uh, Fusion, whatever you're doing. So, I'm trying to remember if there's anything else before I move on. And nothing's really throwing itself up there to be apparent. So, let's move on a little bit. I was looking the other day on one of the news groups i have two or three amateur radio news groups that i look at i try not to look at very many because they make me as crazy as the regular what's going on in the real world news and it, make, it, it all makes my chest hurt however i believe i ran across on one of the news groups the other day somebody complaining that somebody had written an article about how ham radio is dying, and all this other stuff. Well, this is radio, Richard's Radio Adventures, so I can say bullshit. And the reason I say that is, this is the same old tired argument I've been hearing every, ever since I got my initial radio license in 1988. The hobby is dying. The people in the hobby are average ages between 60 and 70, and they're starting to die off. What else? The, the new one that crept in in the, in the early part of the 2000s was the cell phones are here. That's going to take some of our share. Um, people are going to be able to do with technology what they normally would do with amateur radio and what would bring them to amateur radio. That's a newer argument that's been added on top of the older arguments. Bullcrap. Because here's the way it is. The Codeless Tech license was supposed to cure the diminishing number of ham radio operators over the years. It was going to save the hobby, is what we were told. And that's because it would bring new people in and they would get their tech license and then they would decide to get a general and an extra and they would be in the hobby and blah and blah and blah. Well, it didn't make a lot of difference. Now, before I go any further, let me tell you, initially, I was against codeless tech license. Once the Codeless Tech license went in, and I saw the caliber of people that it was bringing in, okay. Well, let's go ahead and Elmer, because 
they all had their hearts in the right place. And there have been a lot of fine ham radio operators come out of that. I've known hundreds. I've had the opportunity to teach hundreds something about making their amateur radio better, making them a better traffic handler, a better emergency communicator, a better radio operator in general. I have had time to do this because of the COVID state license. The point I'm getting at is that the American Radio Relay League, oh yes, by the way, I'm a member of the league now, so if I want to talk crap, I'll talk crap. And if they have a problem with that, they can come speak to me about that. Because, well, the short version is I've been assistant section manager under three different section managers. I was emergency coordinator for Coleman County. Uh, I ran the speaker bureau in this section for under two different assistant section managers. I'm an emergency uh, emergency relay station, emergency uh, official emergency station. Uh, I have been digital net uh, manager for ATS. Blah, 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 blah. If y'all want to see all that, go over to the website. But the whole point is that we still have the same argument going on. Now, I don't know what the numbers are right now. I need to go look that up. However, at one point since I've been licensed, we had 750,000 amateur radio operators in the United States. 750,000. Okay, that's less than a million. And there's a whole lot more than a million people in this, in this country. So yes, the percentage was probably small. However, we're the ones that mobilized during Katrina. We are the ones that mobilized during the other hurricanes over on the East Coast. We are the ones that mobilized during Rita, which came straight through the middle of Texas. We are the ones that mobilized at Oklahoma City. We are, I mean, we're the guys that are out there filling the gap. Because DHS was supposed to bring all these apartments together under one umbrella and uh, blah, blah, blah. But as far as radio communications, they still need us. And that's fine. Because that's part of, that's us paying the bill. We get to enjoy amateur radio. We get to talk on HF, make contacts, all this other good stuff. But nothing, constable, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. For those of you that read the Robert Heinlein, you'll know what I'm talking about. They need us, but we need them too. And our part of paying for that lunch is when we go out and do space shuttle recovery in East Texas which was really hard on a lot of us here. We just need to know that as far as paying the bill. Now where the new guys are coming in, and this is the thing that's really sticking in my craw and may make us go a little while. I told y'all we are gathering up on the news group, on Facebook, trying to get this club together. The other day, a young gentleman shows up. And he's like, I, I don't have the computer in front of me because I'm sitting out on the back porch. But he came up with something like, hey, I'm not an amateur radio operator yet. I'm looking to get my license in the near future. Can you guys give me any pointers on how I should get started? And immediately, the exact same thing that happens to anybody that asks that question happened. There were two or three guys in there 
that immediately chimed in with, you need to make sure you get yourself a good 50 watt radio. You need to make sure you get yourself a, a, a good uh, antenna and get it up at a fairly high elevation. You need to make sure that if you're going to run out of your car that you have a good uh, mobile antenna installation, preferably not a mag mount, something that is actually mounted to the car. Uh, you should probably get dual bander instead of a mono bander because you know, that's going to allow you to be more flexible in what you do and everything else. And some of you guys listening to me right now have given that advice. Bullshit. The guys want to get his license. We have a, a huge number of people come into this hobby every year that they're not guys that have 30, 40, 50, 60,000 dollar a year jobs. They're driving an old piece of crap, what we call a beater. They're driving an old beater around town. They've probably got a kid or two hanging off of them. They got a woman that's busy, well, in my case, it was a woman who was busy sitting down with her sister-in-law at the far end of the property smoking weed all day. And they don't have three, four, five hundred dollars to throw down on the radio. They don't have a hundred dollars for a freaking antenna. They don't, I mean, they could barely afford a dual band handheld. And it's about money. You know, I, I made a comment about something the other day about lowering the barrier to entry. Well, I still stand by that comment if any of y'all have seen it. Uh, it had to do with contesters running over people. But we can't raise the bar too high. You know, these guys... There's radios out there you can have for 60, 60 bucks. And yeah, they don't sound like an Icom or Yezu or Kenwood. But they allow the individuals to communicate. And they can have them for a song. Those of y'all have been listening to, me, listening to me for years, y'all know that over on Resident Frequency, the amateur radio podcast, I actually did a review on a Bofang uh, UV5R. And that was probably 10 or more years ago. Well, right now it's sitting on my desk with an oversized battery on it. Kind of sitting there waiting for Ray to get his repeater turned back on. Because I don't have enough power out of it to be able to talk to anything but something local here with a handheld. It's not a garbage radio, but it's not a high quality radio. And when I went over and looked at dual band handheld over at, uh, well, Universal Radio, I think is where I went. I like to do business with them guys. They've always treated me good. You couldn't put your hands on a dual band radio for less than $350, $400. A freaking handheld. So, the advice that I passed along to the guy was, Get on air. Doesn't matter what you do, get on the air. Do whatever you have to do to get on the air. Because if he doesn't get on the air, he's going to be one of those hams that when his license expires, he will not renew it. Because it hadn't done anything for him. Now, it doesn't matter to me if he gets on there with a both thing. It doesn't matter to me if he gets on there with a Yeezy. But he needs to get on the air. I have known a lot of radio operators that because they were waiting to pay for that expensive dual band radio that they're going to put in their car, 
that expensive 50 watt radio that uh, everybody's told them to have. They end up not renewing their license because they were never able to achieve that goal. The other side of it is also if they get on there and they see how much enjoyment they can derive from that, then that's going to motivate them to figure out ways to get that bigger, better radio. So we're getting close to the end of this thing. And uh, you knew it was going to happen. Let's do Richard's Boring Story Time. In the 1980s, my father, after having a lifelong dream of becoming an amateur radio operator, got his license. He knuckled down and worked and worked and worked and it merely it drove him insane and he finally passed the five word a minute code test. Now for you guys that came in under codeless license, y'all don't understand that uh, sometimes it's tough uh, getting that code down. It's easier to get it once you're where you can listen to it on the air. And he decided that he was going to spread the love. So at the time, I was on that band we don't talk about. And he loaned me a couple books. I built me an antenna. Antenna that turned out to be a hot rod uh, I never would have thought, which was only one element made out of wire. It was just, it was something else. Ground wave was incredible on this thing. And he did a few other things. He said, okay, why don't you study for your license? I'm like, do I have to learn that Morse code? He said, yeah. Okay, I'll try. And I was working nights at a security job at a, a club over in Fort Worth area which did allow me to sit in my car for extended periods of time. So I got myself a personal uh, recorder and got me some code tape. And I would sit out in that car and copy code every night. And it gradually started getting better and better and better. Unfortunately, it wasn't clicking like it was supposed to. And it took me about six months to be able to copy 95% because I wasn't going to go take the test if I couldn't copy 95%. And I went on down and took the test. Well, my copy was 100% on the test. Things worked out wonderful. And as soon as the test was over, my father looks at me and he says, Okay, why don't you upgrade the technician? You really can't do a whole lot with a novice uh, ticket. Uh, you can't talk on the radio locally because at that time there was no two-meter privileges for novices. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I got my hands on a book and I started studying the question pool. And I really wasn't making a whole lot of progress studying on that question pool. My father figured it out. So I was over at his house one day, and he knew I had been eyeballing this beautiful handheld he had. It was beautiful. It was big. The colors were outstanding. And some of y'all have heard this story before. It was a Yezu FD-209RH. I don't even know if you can look one of those up on the internet anymore. But it looked extremely beautiful. It sounded good. And the thing that uh, was the icing on the cake is the fact that it had a tone board. Now that probably sounds silly to a lot of you guys, but 
back in the 80s, most of the repeaters here in North Texas were, so, were spread out enough that none of them had to run tone. They were all open, no tone repeaters. So having a radio like that in this part of the world, well, it just really wasn't worth the extra expense. But I went ahead and took the test. I went out to the University of Texas at Arlington where the Arlington, Texas Amateur radio uh, testing group did their classes or did their uh, tests. And I went in, I sweated, I took my test, I aced it. Y'all remember now, I was in my 20s when I did this and had a whole lot on my mind because I was, had a woman, had three kids, and that kind of stuff. But I used to test. I got the radio because I used to test. For the next three years, this one watt, five watt handheld was my mobile station, my base station, and my portable station. When I was at home, I would stick a mag mount to a metal TV tray and work the repeaters over in Dallas off of it. When I was out on the job, the guys and I, other security guys and myself, I was in the security industry at that time, uh, who were out on a property late at night, would spend time talking to each other on one of the local repeaters. That is when they didn't shut it off on us because they didn't want to listen to it. One of the local repeaters to keep each other company, and if somebody needed help, because cell phones were pretty primitive back then. In fact, I didn't see one until a couple of years later, and it was one of those ones that came in a damn suitcase that you carried on your shoulder. But if one of us needed help, they could get help. If one of us needed uh, 911, whatever. So, that would be important. And it lasted me quite a long time, and I didn't have a second battery for the thing until a year to a couple years after I got it. Which brings us to mobile. It was a five watt radio. Uh, features in DFW, as long as I've been licensed, have been pretty close together. They're a lot closer than they used to be. And I walked into a junk store over in Grand Prairie. Saw a CB antenna sitting on a shelf. Took that CB antenna, took it home. I got it for three or five bucks. I took the coil out of the middle. I took the whip out and cut it down to where it needed to be. Put it all back together. Put it on my car and found an adapter. Uh, what was it? 259 to VNC adapter. And that's what I ran in my car as a mobile. And there wasn't any place in Dallas County that I couldn't go that I would have a problem when I was running that radio. The bottom line is where the new guys are concerned, we're going to bring them in. We're always going to bring them in. We brought them in from the beginning. Uh, we brought them in in the 80s when everybody was talking. I just posted an article on the website about... Uh, Back in the or in 2008, 2009, when everybody was screaming, "Oh my God, the hams are vanishing! The hoppy's going to die!" Blah blah. Well, I just posted something like that. That was 10 years ago, 11 years ago, and just the last couple of days, I saw the same argument coming across the news group. Where the new guys are concerned, we have one job. Bring them in, teach them, try and make them better hands than we are. It doesn't matter if they don't want to get on HF, 
They don't want to talk on local repeaters. All they want to do is talk on DMR, D-Star, or whatever. Bring them in. Teach them. Install, install the love of the hobby in them. Because some of the best experiences that I can remember have to do with either situations where I was doing amateur radio or situations where I was around people doing amateur radio. One of those just jumps right up. Uh, recently I spoke of Scott, M5EHV, who no longer ham because I'm sure that there wasn't enough support for him in that situation. And he and I, and a fellow named Greg Thacker, N5LYS, and a gentleman named Mike Sedek, N5TZR, uh, we had an online bulletin board back in the days of online bulletin boards in the late 80s. It was Greg's board. But we would all meet up there on like Friday nights, program on the BBS, you know, try and make it work better. Uh, eat pizza, tell stories, and just generally hang out. And where Scott is concerned, he and I became good enough friends that when he and I would get off at night, because we were both working in the security uh, service, doing security at the time, uh, he was a patrol for one company. I stood a post, a uh, club over on McKinney Avenue. And we would get off and we would drive to my house in Grand Prairie. We would sit there and eat uh, spaghetti and work on a computer and talk on the radio and all kinds of good stuff. So the memories that are made, and I guess that, uh, yeah, I get back to that. Um, the memories are just as important as the knowledge being accepted by your peers. Now, what just came to mind as I was talking is that uh, I did customer service training with Pretolay slash PepsiCo, uh, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. And one of the things that the gal that was doing the instruction was kept talking about was Making memories. Now, in the case of customer service, you make memories. Well, I've kind of boiled it down to my own little thing, which is people remember their first impression, their last impression. They don't remember much in the middle. So if it's bad on either end, then they're going to think the whole experience was bad. Where amateur radio is concerned, to some extent that works. But it's more about all the memories you make as you go down the road being an amateur radio operator. If the good ones, the percentage of good ones is higher than the percentage of bad ones, because I've known a lot of bad ham radio operators, then you're going to remember that fondly. You're going to want to pursue it more. And it's going to be, a, I mean, it's a lifestyle. For most guys, it's a lifestyle. I'm sure there's quite the, that fair share out there that uh, they couldn't give a shit if they never keyed radio again. Wouldn't make any difference in their lives. But there's some of us that are married to it. And it would be far too boring for me to sit here and tell you how married I am to Bobby. So, Bring the new guys in. Teach them what you know. The numbers fluctuate. So it's going to be up a while. It's going to be down a while. And we can't depend on the league. Because all they're really doing is sitting up there in Newington. Collecting money and going in and doing what, they, what little they need to do. To uh, keep the government from taking our frequencies away from us. Don't get me wrong, I just rejoined our money, even if it's just going to lawyers, uh, it's worth it. So with that, I have rambled and rambled and rambled.
I haven't even looked at the timer. And I really think that for this one, man, I had a lot of stuff to tell you all this time. Uh, for this one, I think we're pretty much done. So, y'all send me an email. If you liked it, if you didn't like it, if you think I'm wrong on something, if you need some help elmering somebody, just any old thing, if you just want to say hi, uh, try and catch me on the uh, D-Star Reflectors. Uh, hopefully that'll change over to another mode pretty soon. With interrupting. You know, do whatever you can, get in touch with me. And if you live in the cities of Carroll, Kaufman, or Forney, Texas, get in touch with me because we are putting groups together out here. So with that, I'm going to let y'all go. Uh, you'll find information on the website, on our podcast.info. Send me an email at ab5jbb at gmail.com. And I do read and answer each and every one, even though sometimes it's a little slow because uh, life has a way to get in way. So, with that, y'all go out. Elmer's guys. Talk to y'all later. This is KB5JBV.